We're starting a new series tonight in our sermons that is looking at some of the basic questions. Why are we here? Who are we? Who are we seeking to be and to do together? And uh, these are important questions for us to think about. We'll do this over the next six weeks uh, as a kind of refresh of an understanding of who we are as Christians and at Church of the Cross. And we'll also continue these conversations in neighborhood groups, which are beginning this week in homes. And we'll just take time to reflect on these things together in our smaller groups over the next six weeks. So if you're new with us tonight, we're glad to have you here. This is a good time to be jumping in and you'll get to learn more about our heart and who we are. And if you've been here for a long time, this will be a time to come back to the basics together, to lift our heads up from the kind of mire of what we do all the time and see the big picture again, a picture as we see it that I trust will inspire us, encourage us, and renew us as God's people. We have four kids at home, and some of our kids, all the way down to age six, are really into Legos. And so we see a good bit of of Lego building around our home these days. So here's a question for you. What's always on a Lego box? The picture. Yes, it's the goal. It's the finished product. Why? Because the Lego group from Denmark knows just how critical it is to see the picture, the end result, in order to keep us invested in what we all know is a very tedious process of building Legos. You have to be patient in that process. You have to be focused on the next step, on how this part and that part fit together, and piece by piece, step by step, you work towards this goal. But the thing that motivates and propels our children and all of us, and what can keep them focused for a long and impressive, and we might even say at times miraculous, period of time in our family, is the idea of this incredible space station that they can see before them on the cover of the box. Seeing that big picture, understanding that goal, having a clear vision, all of these things are essential for pressing forward through the uh, at times less than thrilling and at times infuriatingly frustrating steps along the way. And so we need this kind of big picture in our Christian lives and as a church as well. The reality is because we're human, much of the Christian life, just like all human life, is mundane and routine. Many of us bought and prepared food for our dinner tonight after the service. Some of us made meals this past week for a family in our church who's going through a challenging time. Many parents this week sent their kids back to school. Schools began in Boston this last week and prayed for them. Some of you prayed for people this week who were hurting in our community or perhaps people in your family that you know. This week, many of you will open your homes and buy more food and prepare it in order for small groups to gather there and to open up the scriptures together and to pray with one another. And some of these things that we do are great, and some of them are hard, and most of them, a lot of them, are just normal and routine. And as we live this life week after week and year after year, it's easy, really easy, to just start going through the motions, to lose sight of the forest, for the trees. And when we lose that big vision, that picture um, of how radical this is, how beautiful it is, this is an amazing thing, the people of God, that we're called to be a part of. We're prone to become weary, to get bogged down, and possibly even to lose interest altogether. So I want you to think about the next six weeks as restoring front and center the beautiful picture on the cover of the box with the hopes that we see this more clearly together, that we get reinvigorated to faithfully take up the next step, whatever that step may be, however wonderful or hard or plain normal it is. That's what we're aiming to do 
in these next six weeks. And so we're starting tonight with the question of origins, or really the beginning. How did the church get here in the first place? Why are we here tonight? Why are we gathered together? Why are so many gathering together today, morning and evening, across the city and nation and across the world, from different cultures and ethnicities and languages, to open up scripture, to pray, to sing, all of the things that we do. And so to answer this question, which is at the heart, the the beginning, really, the origin, we're going to turn back to the book of Acts, the one book in the New Testament that tells the story of the origin and beginnings of the people of God. And Acts opens with a really interesting statement. If you've got your Bible, open up to Acts, and we'll go to chapter 1 for just a moment. In verse 1, this is how the whole book opens. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach, which implies what? So this is Luke. He's written the Gospel of Luke, and now he's writing volume 2, the book of Acts. And that verse implies that what I wrote about in the Gospels is what Jesus began to do and teach, but what I'm writing about now in the book of Acts is what Jesus is continuing to do and to teach, now through the Spirit-inspired apostolic ministry and work. And so that's what we get to open up and see. And the apostles have been entrusted with a divine word from their Lord to go out and proclaim, and we call this testimony that they have the Gospel, the Good News. The church is rooted in and grounded in the good news. And so our question as we think about the origin of the church is, what is this good news, this gospel, that shares with us what God is doing in the world, that forms the people of God that we are a part of? And our text specifically tonight is Acts chapter 10, verses 34 to 43. So if you'd like to turn over to those chapter, to chapter 10, in Acts. And this is the account of Peter speaking to Cornelius and those gathered together in his home. Though to be clear, we could turn to any number of texts in the book of Acts tonight and make largely the same point, because many of the sermons in Acts reflect the same themes that we'll see here from Peter. So this begins right before our reading from tonight, the verse 33. Cornelius, who is a Gentile, who is a military leader, says this to Peter. After some visions, Peter had a vision, Cornelius had a vision, and that brought them together. That brought Peter, a Jew, into this Gentile's home where he never would have gone before. And now that he's there, Cornelius says this. He says, now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. This is a softball down the middle from Cornelius to Peter to say, tell us what God sent you here to say. Tell us What's at the heart of this new thing that's going on that we've heard about and have asked you to come and share with us? So Peter proclaims the good news, the gospel. And we'll see three things as we look at this good news that is the foundation of the church. First, that this is about a person. Second, this is about a position held by that person. And third, this is about a purpose that the person in that position has. So a person, a position, and a purpose. That's how we're going to briefly look at this text together tonight. So first, a person. Peter wastes no time. Look at verse 36. As for the word that God sent to Israel, preaching the good news or gospel of peace through Jesus the Messiah or Christ, 
And then in verse 37, he says, you know, you yourselves know, because Caesarea, where Cornelius lives, is only about 50 miles from Jerusalem. And so they would have heard all that had just gone on in Jerusalem at Passover, this big event, this would-be Messiah who was crucified and claimed to have been risen from the dead. And so he says, you know about this. So right off the bat, Peter says, look, this message that God has sent me to share is about Jesus. I've shared this with you before, but our son, who's now nine, but when he was four and five, any time that we'd have a devotional moment as a family and we'd be asking them questions about the Bible or about God in some way, he would, any question we asked, he would just blurt out the word, Jesus. That was like his safe answer. And it's a great one. And I'd like you to learn from him tonight that if anybody asks you, so what's the gospel? What is it that's the grounding of the church? What's it all about? That you just say Jesus. Because that's what Peter starts with here. It's about Jesus. So he not only mentions Jesus in verse 36, but then in verses 38 through 41, Peter begins to recount the basic narrative. Remember, the Gospels had not yet been written at this point. But Peter begins to account the basic narrative of what we now know as the Gospels. Look at verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. We just read that in Mark 1, that he was baptized and the Spirit descended upon him. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. So he gets through the life. That's a quick summary. And then he talks about his crucifixion. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But then the resurrection, where all the gospels end. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. It's all about Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what God's disposition toward you is, look at Jesus. If you want to know the way to live, look at Jesus. If you want to know how to be truly human, look at Jesus. Jesus is what it's all about. He is the one at the heart of this whole thing. And so the good news is centered around this person. And he's not dead. And that's so important as a church today in Boston. We believe that Jesus is living and working in the world today, as did, of course, Luke, as he wrote in Acts 1.1, and as does Peter, if you look at what he says in verse 42, he says, actually, this Jesus that's at the heart of our good news commanded us to preach to the people and to testify about him. He's living, and in his living, ruling, reigning state, he commanded us as his, as his disciples to go out and preach, to speak about him, to testify about him. So it's about a person, this good news. Secondly, it's about a position, the position of this person. And I, I love this because in this account, in Peter's words to Cornelius, he can't even mention the name Jesus without speaking of the position that Jesus now holds. And this is so important. This is the heart of the gospel because, as I just said, Jesus is living we don't serve a dead king. We serve a living, risen Savior. So what does he say in verse 36? The good news of peace through Jesus, the Messiah, parentheses. Peter just can't help himself. He is Lord of all. He's the reigning king over the universe. He's on the throne. Not Kim Jong-un, not Donald Trump, not Emmanuel Macron, not Angela Merkel. Insert whatever leader... Jesus is on the throne, not Caesar. That would have been the one in Peter's day. That would have been the important one. That would have been the really countercultural thing for him to say. Caesar was referred to as Lord. And Peter says, no, no, no. And all the early Christians said, no, Jesus is on the throne. 
Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our leader. Jesus is our guide. Jesus directs us. At the heart of the gospel, which is about this person, is the fact that this person occupies this position of Lord of all. That's where he is and what he's doing. When Paul writes about this in Ephesians 1, he says that Jesus rose from the dead with the mighty power of God, and then he was seated at the right hand of the Father, which the apostles and Nicene creeds pick up. And then Paul says, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He's above everyone over everything. And by affirming this is the position of Jesus, he goes on later to talk about the fact that Jesus asks us to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. That is, that God appointed Jesus to this office, which includes the act that is part of the restoration of all things, we'll get to that in a moment, of judgment, because that will be a part of the renewal of the world that Jesus is working toward. But he's in this position because lords, kings, like Solomon back in 1 Kings 3 when those two women brought the baby and were fighting, make judgments, bring justice into the world. That's what they do. And so Jesus is in this position. And by affirming that he's the gospel at the heart of 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 our lives, of this church, of any church, by affirming that Jesus is Lord of all, what we're saying is that Jesus has conquered every other power and particularly the enemy of evil, sin, the devil, and death itself. That Jesus has conquered all of those things. This is really important because when we're saying that Jesus is Lord of all, and we're saying that, this, that he's in this office, it's really important that we recognize who Jesus' enemy is. Because some of us might think at times that people are the enemy, or that we might even be the enemy. We know who we are, we know what we've done, we know how we feel, we know the lies that we hold, the secrets that we keep. We all know that we're, we're a mess in different ways, and so we might begin to think, well, I must be the enemy. But look at what Jesus, the Lord of all, does when he's on the cross. Do you remember this moment? When he's hanging on the cross, at the, in, in the most extreme suffering, inflicted upon him by his own people, Jesus looks out upon them hanging on the cross and cries out to his father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Even the people that put him on the cross, that mocked him and spit on him and put a crown of thorns around him on on his head, even they were not his enemies. So you are not his enemy. No, Jesus is on the cross because of God so loving the world that he sent his only son. We are not his enemies. But as Lord over all, his disposition toward us is one of love, one of pleading, one of compassion, one of mercy. And he extends his arm of embrace to everyone, however wicked or evil we may be, have been, or currently are, Jesus invites us to come under his lordship. You see, the devil is his enemy, evil is his enemy, because evil actually undermines life and flourishing. Evil destroys the goodness of God's creation and mars it, much like throwing tar up on a masterpiece. That's what evil does to God's creation, and that's the enemy. That's what's turning us 
uh, inward upon ourselves. That's what's leading us to diminishment. And Jesus comes and deals with the devil. Remember, he goes out into the wilderness to do battle one-on-one. And then in John 12, he says, when I go to the cross, the hour has come that the, the, the ruler of this world will be cast out. And we're told by the author of Hebrews that Jesus, through death, might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. Jesus comes to deal with that enemy and take the throne, having undermined, having vanquished that power which destroys your life and mine, and which we often gladly partner with for that destruction because we think it will bring us good. And Jesus, that's his enemy, not you, but the power of sin and evil and death. And he deals with that and he takes the throne. And his heart for you is to have life. He wants you to have life and to have it abundantly. That's what the Lord of all desires for you. Which leads me then to this third thing of a purpose. So this person, Jesus, in this position of Lord of all, has this purpose in his office of reconciling all things and making all things new. Look at verse 43. Peter says, To him the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Forgiveness of sins. A a clearing of our account. A taking away of our debt. Deep in our hearts, every one of us knows that we are broken. And we know that we do wrong. And even if we deny God and if we deny that whole part of, of, of life, we still, in the deepest way, have a sense that we need to be forgiven. That something's really deeply broken. And what God is doing through the Lordship of Jesus is offering that forgiveness in order that you and I might be reconciled to God, reconciled to one another, and renewed in true life. This is amazing news that the person who holds the position of Lord over all things is actually working out a purpose that is to bring life to the people that he made, to reconcile them to one another and to God, to, re- to renew their hearts in the life of the Spirit, in his life. That's what he came to do. Verse 36, if you caught that at the beginning, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. Jesus came preaching the gospel of peace to bring about the end of conflict, the end of division, and to bring something new and wholesome and good into the world. That's what he came to do. And of course he knew that this would cost him his own life. So in Ephesians 2, we're told that he makes peace through the blood of the cross, now uniting out of two, the Jew and Gentile, one new humanity in him. In Revelation, we read that this new humanity would be made from every tribe and language and people and nation that Jesus would reconcile all of these nations and people and tribes in himself and bring about this renewal that we all long for. This is tremendously good news. This is not the kind of thing that we sort of want to like hush-hush about. But as Paul says in Romans 1, he says, look, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Well, why not, Paul? Because it's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Because it's in this good news that Jesus is Lord and is working to bring about the reconciliation and renewal of all things. Because that's the best news that we could ever share with our own lives, with our neighbors, with our co-workers. Jesus on the throne is wonderful. You and me on the throne is bad news, terrible news, because we'd mess it up. But Jesus is on the throne, the Lord and King, whose disposition toward you is love. 
and mercy and grace. And he wants to bring you life. This is the message that's at the heart of the church. That God was so gracious toward us that he would bring his son into the world. Deal with our, our, our deepest enemy at the cross. And invite us now by faith to enter in to the life of God. To be indwelt by the Spirit. Look what happens when Peter finishes this little sermon in verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on those who heard. When this message is proclaimed, God works through it. That's why Paul says it's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Because as this message goes forth about the work that God has done in Christ, it suddenly comes with a power, and a power that reinforces the position of Jesus and the purpose of Jesus to do these great works in your life and in mine. So we're here to bring this back to this picture on the box. We're just kind of laying the first layer today. But we're here because of God's abundant grace. Because of this gospel. We're here tonight, we're gathered in this place because Jesus is Lord. And because he is reconciling all things and making all things new. The church was, the the origin of the church was in the proclamation of this message that was from above into the world that brought about new life to its hearers. That's why we're gathered together. That's why we exist as a community. Which means that at the heart of the church, then, at the heart of our life together, is a never-ending impetus towards celebration, gratitude, joy, thanksgiving, praise, worship, that singing a new song. Because this is tremendous good news for us and for the world. And we have been, by God's grace, brought into this amazing work of renewal and reconciliation. So we feast together, we rejoice together, we give thanks together, we celebrate together, we eat meals together. And we do this formally as we gather week after week. We come to the Lord's table and feast with him together each week. And we do it informally in all kinds of other ways. And here's my hope is that you're renewed, at least tonight, in some small way, in the fact that this is great news. Jesus is Lord, and God is working through him to reconcile all things. That includes you and all of your brokenness and me, and to make all things new. That includes you and me. Paul brings these thoughts together in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, new creation... The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So as we're celebrating, as we're rejoicing, as we're giving thanks as a body here in Boston, we're also bearing witness to that work of reconciliation and that work of renewal that God is now doing in and through us as his people. And my hope is that seeing that brings back to the kind of mundane and routine where I began, brings and infuses each of those next steps that God has called in your life, a kind of joyful peace that you can step into those things with because it's under the banner of this gospel. So that when you're making a meal, when you're spending some time just listening to somebody who's struggling, when you're barely making it to your knees to pray and falling asleep as you're doing so, 
when you're fighting for justice in a world that desperately needs it, when you're calling out racism in your own life and in the lives of people around you because you're wanting to be on the side of the God who made everyone and loves everyone, when you're engaged in these things, that you'll know that God is there, that God is over you, that God is working in and through you to continue the work that he set out and began in his son Jesus, of renewal and reconciliation. This is what we're called to as a church body, to celebrate this gospel, to celebrate this king, to be encouraged by this in our day to day, and to know that there is no other reason that we're here than that Jesus is on the throne, risen, reigning, and ruling. Amen.